Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Life Hacks. This series looks at helpful strategies from the book of Proverbs to help us live life well now and to prepare us for eternity. We're going to be looking today, we've got uh, just this week and next in the Life Hacks series left. And we're going to be looking today at Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11. Proverbs 29, 11 is up here on the screen. And uh, you'll be able to follow along on the screen. It's also there in your booklet. And I encourage you again, if you look at the discussion and devotion guides over these weeks in the Life Hack series, one of the things we're doing a little bit different, I'm giving a lot of other verses for you to kind of meditate on these things. It's a little different than what we've normally done and will do in the future. But this gives you a chance, if the Lord is speaking to you about one particular area, I'm trying to give some other verses for you to meditate, maybe memorize, ask the Lord to work in your heart and life. And so today we're going to look at Proverbs 29.11. I'm calling it Controlled in an Age of Rage. Proverbs 29.11, hear now the word of the sovereign God. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Over uh, 20 years ago, there was a man named Steve Corin, and he was in a car with his parents, and they were riding down the road, and the parents were bickering in the back. They were just going back and forth and kind of you know, bickering with one another, and he was getting a little exasperated as he rode down the road, and suddenly his father shouts out at the top of his lungs, Serenity now! And he kind of turns around and says, What? And the father says, I've been working on my anger, and my counselor told me whenever there's anger, I should say serenity now, and it will calm things down. And he said, I'm not sure he wants you to shout serenity now that that's going to calm it down. If any of you are fans of the Seinfeld show, you will recognize what I'm talking about. Steve Corin was actually a writer for the Seinfeld show. So he went back in and said, I have an episode in mind. And it includes, and they had George Costanza's father do this, and it became a very famous Seinfeld episode. But oddly enough, and here's a little life hack for you, if you are arguing with your spouse this afternoon, shouting serenity now at them will probably not calm the situation down. It doesn't work, does it, Linda? I've tried it. Um, and so... We, uh, we have this problem, however. This was, this was a way that a guy was trying. He was trying to bring peace and calm into the situation. It was a rather unique method. But how do we handle it? We live in what is being called an age of rage or an age of outrage. If you even Google that phrase, you'll see many articles that are being written that are noting this, that people are now feeling freer and expressing anger, rage and outrage at one another more than ever before. But how are we going to walk in a controlled manner and be agents of peace? If it's not shouting serenity now, what is it that actually works? That's what we want to talk about. Now, let me begin by doing as we are each week. We'll look in Proverbs and some other places in Scripture by talking about the, the problem or the exact thing that, that's spoken of in our in our text. And that's the danger of anger and rage. Now notice in Proverbs, I don't know if you notice this, but you should be seeing it each week, 
The text says in Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger. Now, your ears should perk up when you are reading Proverbs and it says, let me describe a fool. That is a big warning sign that says, don't be this way. Because the fool is the villain in Proverbs. The fool is the person you do not want to be. It's describing a path, a way of life that is not good. And here in Proverbs 29, 11, it says, well, here's the way in the path of the fool. They give full vent to their anger. They walk down a path that can be characterized with rage and anger. And it's not just this verse. Scripture is full of warnings about the danger of anger or wrath or rage, whatever term you want to use. Let me just give, I'll just give two. There's again some others that I list in the, the discussion guide for this week. And Psalm 37, 8, we are told, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. And then in Proverbs 14, 17, a quick-tempered man does foolish things, and a crafty man is hated. So notice, in Psalm 37, we're given a clear command. Refrain from anger, turn away from wrath. Again, we'll, we'll come back to this in a little while. Proverbs presents two paths, the path of the wise and the path of the fool. And one of the major purposes of the book is saying, if you fear God, if you are part of God's people, then you want to walk the path of wisdom. You don't want to walk the path of the fool. And so here in Psalm 37, we're told, refrain from anger, turn away from wrath. That's, that's the path, and you should see as part of God's people, don't walk this path path. And we're told why in Proverbs 14, 17. It's because a person who's quick-tempered, a person who walks that path, does foolish things. Anger leads to foolish actions. How many of you can say amen and know that verse is true? I mean, we do not usually say, so this happened today, I got really angry, I lost my temper, and all these smart actions followed. All this good stuff happened. It was such a blessing, I got angry. Most of us know that's not what usually happens, is it? In fact, it's usually the exact opposite of that. We spend the rest of the day wishing we could rewind the tape, go back, and act in a different way. And Proverbs says that's because anger leads to this. Now, this is why the early church, as they debated, and you remember uh, a little over a year ago, we talked about the seven root vices, or what's sometimes referred to as the seven deadly sins. And they picked them out. They did not pick the seven worst things a human being can do. So murder did not make the list. But anger and wrath did. And that's because what they were saying is, but these are the sins that lead to other sins. And so if you nip anger and wrath in the bud, you're not going to make it to murder. If you nip greed in the bud, you're not going to make it to theft and deceit and trickery and fraud and stealing and all these other things. And so wrath, anger, was one of these seven root vices because it's so often, as Proverbs tells us, it leads to foolish actions. It leads to other sinful thoughts, other sinful words, and other sinful deeds. Now, let me hasten to say, this text is speaking to us of uncontrolled anger and rage. 
Scripture does speak of a righteous anger, an anger that bristles at injustice. When you heard Melissa reading those statistics, if you sense a burning anger, that's not wrong. There is anger at things that are so unjust that strike at the way God is, the way the universe ought to be, that it is appropriate to become angry at that. Unfortunately, the majority of time I get angry is because that guy cut me off in traffic. This is cosmic injustice. No, it's not. It's just a minor irritation is all it is. But I now feel justified in becoming angry at this person and starting to, to shout and do this. I can't make this up. On the way in this morning, so I'm, I've been ruminating and thinking about this. I'm going over my outline. I get in my car. I'm driving out. I come up to a stop sign, and the little car in front of me, on the back, on the top of the hood, it said, F you. And no, that was not, may felicity be upon you. That was F you. This person thought I just needed this message as I was sitting there. I don't even know who the person was. But that was Big silver letters on the back of his blue car. And I thought, well, that's, a, that's an interesting sign for everyone. And the fact is, there is righteous anger. That's not most of what's going on in our culture right now. The majority of what we're taking our anger out on is someone cuts me off in traffic. Someone makes a statement I do not like. Heaven forbid, someone supports a politician I do not like, and I now feel justified to unload upon that person. And that is not righteous anger. That is sinful. And so here's the problem. Proper anger is exceedingly rare. God exercises it well. Whenever God is wrathful, it is right. Most of the time when you and I are wrathful, it is not. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, said this. Anyone can become angry. That's easy. And everyone should say amen. These are true words. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, that's not easy. And see, Aristotle is correct on all of these. And if anger is going to be righteous, it has to meet all of those criteria. And if it fails in any of them, I've just slipped from righteous anger to unrighteous anger. So if I am angry with the wrong person, and we've all this right, somebody cuts me off, I get a little irritated, I get out, my child does something that they do every day, and how do I respond? I respond in anger and irritation. Well, see, I'm, I'm angry at the wrong person now. I'm really angry at somebody else, but I'm expressing my anger towards the wrong person. Or I am angry at the right person, but to the wrong degree. What they did was wrong, but my response is all out of proportion to what they have done. Or 
I'm angry at the right person, even at the right degree, but it's not the right time. Nothing good is going to come out of me expressing my anger at this time. Or I'm angry for the wrong purpose. This is a huge one. The right purpose, and it's really the only right purpose, is because somebody is violating the ways of God. Someone is going against the way God wants things done. Not that someone did something that makes me unhappy. That's not a right reason to be angry. I'm not God. Not that someone has done something that I just find irritating. That is not license for me to be angry. And then Aristotle concludes in the right way. So if you consider all of those, and then I look back at most of the times I can think that I've been angry in my life, very, very rarely has it met this. It really doesn't line up with that. Now, this actually uh, is important because the overwhelming majority of anger and rage in our culture right now is wrong on most of those counts. It's not that it gets most of them right. It's wrong on most of them. We're, we're just getting angry and expressing rage over all kinds of silly things. And what happens is it's just boomeranging around and it's getting more and more and more intense. We're magnifying the anger uh, and people don't know how to control it. And then it ends up breaking out in very harmful and destructive ways. It's harmful to the person who is angry like that. And then it becomes harmful to people who are around them. Now, notice how this verse puts it is speaking about this sense of uncontrolled anger. It's not righteous anger, it's uncontrolled anger. Now, I've put up here both the NIV and the ESV, and I'll explain why. The, the NIV has put it and said, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man, notice the contrast, keeps himself under control. So the fool, there's not control, it's flying out of control. The wise person is keeping it under control. The English Standard Version is translated, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. Now you might wonder, why is that? Well, that's because the Hebrew literally reads, a fool lets all his spirit go out. That's what it says. A fool just lets his spirit go. And so, actually the verse is about more than just anger. It just means I'm uncontrolled in whatever I'm getting stirred up about inside. And there is no sense of control. There's, to go back to last week, there's no sense of limits at all, okay? And a fool just lets her rip. Now, the NIV is not wrong in referring this to anger because just a couple of verses before, it's dealt with anger. And in fact, the emotion that most often this is the problem that is pointed out in Proverbs is in fact anger and wrath. But the whole thing is there is no control. That's why I call this controlled in an age of rage. It's not just that I'm angry. It's just that there's, there's no buffer. There's no control on this. I am just letting her rip is what is going on and happening. And so a healthy person, a wise person, learns to keep a tight leash on their tendency to anger, and they do not give full vent to their rage, but learns i got to learn to control my emotions. Just because I feel it, just because I feel it deeply, doesn't make it right. In fact, it may be very wrong. So, how do we handle this? In an age where you're going to come into contact with unrighteous rage, it's not a question, you're going to come into contact with it this week. How do you and I respond in a way that would be wise, would be pleasing rather than grieving to the Spirit of God and would be in the way of Jesus. Well, the first thing is don't shout serenity now. 
that, that won't work. That's, that's not going to calm it down. So what is it that we do? Well, the first, per, first thing that the scripture would tell us is the wise person avoids situations which are likely to breed anger and rage, if possible. Now, this is not a statement for a parent of young children to say, my kids make me angry, so I'm just going to stay away from them. Okay, that, I know that that would have been easy when I was a parent of a young child, but that's not what we're talking about here. But there are paths that lead us to anger. Proverbs talks so much about this kind of thing. One, one verse is in Proverbs 4, 14 and 15. Says, do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. Now, notice what Proverbs is saying is not just don't do the actions of evil and foolish men, they walk a way, they walk a path. In this case, there is a path of giving full vent to anger, a path that wants to push out and create this. And Proverbs says, in standard law of Proverbs tells us, I can talk about that we do not get on that path. Do not walk on the path. Stay away from it. Just turn away from it from the very beginning. Wisdom is knowing which path to take and which path to avoid. Now, what does it mean for you and I? If you know a particular situation, a particular you know, I, I listen to this guy on talk radio, I do whatever, and it makes me angry. And let me be clear, it may make you angry because you do not like what the person is saying. So, I sometimes can listen to people, and those people make me angry because I don't like what they're saying. I can also listen to people who I agree with, but they are constantly stirring me up about everything that's wrong around me, and they are just making me irritated. Don't be a fool. Don't spend your days listening to that. And let me tell you, you know what sells out on media? Is not calm, peace, control. What sells is people bleeding their emotions all over the place. It's like the old thing. Dog bites man is not a news story. Man bites dog is a news story. But the problem with that is over time, as I keep reading the news, apparently the only thing that ever happens is people bite dogs. Because I don't ever read that dogs bite people. I only read that people bite dogs. But that's not a true picture of the universe. A fool runs around and gets themselves in places and situations that just keep them brimming and stirred up, and you do not have to look around. With the internet, and talk radio, and TV, that stuff is waiting for you tomorrow morning. And here's one of the problems in our age of rage. There are many people that tomorrow morning they are going to wake up and the first thing they're gonna do is press the button that says, I'm out searching for something to be offended about. I am out searching for something that makes me angry. And if that is your search, I will guarantee you, you will find it. It will not be hard to find that thing. But if you do that, you are walking the path of evil and foolishness. And that path is going to end with you taking evil, foolish actions. You can count on it. Stay off the path. If Getting in the presence of this thing, whether you agree with it or don't, whether it's listening, you know, seeing this person's posts on social media, 
whether it is listening to this person on talk radio, reading this thing, if it causes that, don't go there. You don't need it. It's not going to resolve things, and I'll explain a little bit more why in a few minutes. So that's the first thing, just avoid it. Secondly, if I am in a situation and someone is speaking or acting or doing something and I don't like it, the wise person carefully listens to other people. The wise person tries to understand why someone is saying, thinking, doing something before they formulate their own response. Proverbs 18, 13. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Now, I struggle sometimes interpreting the scripture, so y'all help me. Is folly and shame a good thing? If God says that was foolish and shameful behavior, is he trying to encourage me to do that? See, God says if you are not listening, but all you're wanting to do is express your thing back, you're acting like a fool, and that is shameful behavior. And much of the current rage in our culture happens because people don't even listen to one another. There are not conversations happening. There are serial or parallel monologues happening. They're just talking, and nobody's listening. Now, a funny thing, on April Fool's Day, 2014, NPR posted a, a link out on a feed, they posted a thing, it was, uh, it was an article, why doesn't anyone read anymore? The headline asked, asked, and it had a link for you to click on so you could go read this article that proved that people don't read anymore. But a bunch of people started posting comments, that is so stupid, it is not true, I read, and all these comments started back and forth on both sides. No, you're wrong, people really don't read anymore. And there's, this argument broke out. The problem is, if you clicked the link, you found out the article was a fake. When you went there, all it said is we sometimes get the sense that some people are commenting on NPR stories that they haven't actually read. If you're reading this, please like this post and do not comment on it. Then let's see what people have to say about this story. People had all kinds of opinions about a story that said you're forming opinions before you even look at things, and they were all saying, that's not true, I don't do that, thereby proving they actually did exactly what they were claiming they didn't do. That is so common in our culture. I already know I either like this person or I don't like this person, and I'm not going to take the time to listen or read because that person's an idiot. Or I like this person and they're really good, and I don't actually take time to listen to pay attention. And so when you feel anger rising within us, and we all do, because I hear people, I come across people, they're saying things I don't like, what God tells us to do is stop. Listen first, before you respond back. Stop and listen. Now I'm telling you, all of these are years of experience. I've memorized many of these verses because this has been one of my besetting sins. And my wife was much better to say, maybe there's a reason the child's behaving this way before you fly off. And I'd be like, nope, it's sin, and I'm the solution. Okay? I wish I hadn't had that conversation, but I had it many times. And Linda was the one to say, 
maybe there's something else going on and if you'll be quiet and talk to the child maybe we'll find something out okay and she was walking the path of wisdom i was treading the path of the fool now the third thing if i'm in the situation somebody has spoken i have listened the third thing is a wise person chooses their words carefully so they don't just spread the rage one of two things can happen we can dampen rage or we can magnify rage and so the wise person chooses their words carefully Proverbs 15, 28 says this. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. So notice here, wise and righteous are the same in Proverbs, and and the fool and evil are the same. And so it says, here, if you want to walk the path of righteousness, you want to walk the path of wisdom, here's what you do. You weigh your answers. You take time. You think, the fool, the evil person, they just gush it out. Whatever the first thing, I listen to you, now I'm going to get my response back. And I don't weigh, I don't think through it. And taking the time to weigh a response allows my emotions to cool off before I respond back. Now, this is another area I really struggled with. You, can, you all are going to learn a lot this morning by me telling you things I did, don't do. We tell couples this in pre-marriage counseling all the time now. When Linda and I would have an argument when we were newlyweds, my wife would try to say, I need time to weigh out the answer. I'm going to go to another room. And I would very helpfully follow her around saying, we need to finish this argument and we need to finish it now. Who thinks that worked well? (laughs) Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't work. That just, that just magnifies the problem. But see, one of the problems in our culture is people just, again, they're, they're going, they're talking, they're shouting, they're doing things, and the thoughtful person finds it very hard to take the time to carefully think through and weigh their, their response and to let their emotions cool off. And you know what you do sometimes when you weigh your response? You determine, here's the best response. Nothing. I'm going to be silent right now. Why I say this, in Proverbs 17, 14, it says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Very vivid imagery here. What happens if I breach a dam? Is it just a little trickle comes out? I mean, man, the whole thing comes out, and it's just death and destruction everywhere. And Proverbs says, you know what? Before you breach that dam, sometimes just drop it. Just leave it alone. It is not important for me to do. This gives me time to step back and say, you know what? Is this even my battle? Or is this someone else's? See, there are Christians who are convinced there are wrong opinions on the internet. I must correct them. Uh, Yeah, no, you really don't need to. And you're actually not going to correct them. Just drop the matter. Just let it go. This is, again, the voice of experience. I spent time trying to do that, and it's like whacking a hornet's nest. It does not end up well. It just never ends up well. Don't get pulled into someone else's back. Is it really worth taking a stand? There are things, okay? It's worth taking a stand over stopping the sex slave trade. There are all kinds of things. It's just not that important. It's just not that big. Do you really want your joy being sucked away? and arguing over this stuff, it's really not 
worth it. If people would practice this, it would stop most. Let me just be real practical. In the home, can I tell you, the majority of arguments I've listened to couples telling me when, when, when things are just completely broken down, it's over nothing. I mean, there are things to get really arguer. I And I will again congratulate my wife. Linda is very good at practicing this and just saying it's just not worth fighting over. It's just not worth, and that's one of our practices that has kept us actually happily married for 35 years now is, you know, you know what's worth arguing about? Almost nothing. Almost nothing is rises to this level that I'm digging in here. You're probably acting like a fool. It's probably what you're doing. Not worth it. But if I am going to speak, because this is worth doing it, then Proverbs says, choose words that are likely to reduce anger rather than magnifying it. So if I am saying, you know what, this is something I have to take a stand on, there's still two ways I can speak. One of them is going to magnify the anger the other one's going to try and tamp things down so we might have a rational conversation. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Same situation. You're, in this proverb, it's right to respond, but he says, but there's two ways you can respond. One's going to stir up anger, which is not going to lead to anything good. The other one might bring some peace and Calm. In Proverbs 15, 18, you can tell Proverbs 15 has a lot about this stuff. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Okay, which does Proverbs want you and me to be, the hot-tempered guy or the patient man? Okay, one of them is known for stirring things up. The other one is known for calming things down. Now, this is a challenge to me. My natural personality type is to wade in guns a-blazing. It, it just does not work. So the next thing, and there's only uh, two more left, is not only are we you know, trying to stay off the path if I can avoid it, when I do make sure that I listen, then very carefully weigh out my answer, choose my words carefully. And this is where we're going to start to take a little bit of a turn towards the gospel because this is not just about my willpower. The wise person asked the spirit to develop a patient, controlled spirit within them. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And it goes on and it ends with self-control. This is not, this is what, when the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, this is what he wants you to be. So you're not working on something separate from what God wants. The Spirit wants to make you patient, self-controlled. Neither of which, I can tell you, were natural traits for me. So to whatever degree that's been developed in my life, it has been the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work because that was not my natural bent. Now, Proverbs 16.32 puts it this way. Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper, than one who takes a city. That's, that's a bold verse right there. Because see, what do we do when people come home from conquering? What do we do for them? It's parades. We do. How many times have you seen somebody say, we're calling out the country, we're having a ticker tape parade because Bobby's a patient man. 
He exercises self-control. Let's have a parade. See, that's a sign of our culture's foolishness. If we were wise, we would do that. This is a guy because it's better to be a patient man than a warrior who can take a city. See, I need to hear this because when I go out, guns a-blazing, and I'm going to be a warrior for my cause, and I'm going to say the things and do the things that are going to make you back down, God says, you know what would be better? If you were a patient, controlled man. I'd be much more pleased with that than if you go out and slay that guy. Much more pleased. Boy, if we had this verse pop up every time we like got on the internet or turned on a TV show, I think we would damp down a lot of rage in our own heart and spirit and in our culture. But see, what this is important for us to understand, and please hear me, if you and I want to control this, we need the Holy Spirit to change us from within. I spent a long time memorizing these verses, meditating, and day by day by day saying, Jesus, I need you to change me. Because if you don't, when that guy does something I don't like, I am going to shout out the window, literally, you got to understand where I've come from. I'm the guy that shouted, dude, I will rip your arm off and beat you with the bloody end. On the way to a church meeting, I might add. And then justified it to my wife. When she said, is that what you want to teach your sons? Yes. I'm teaching them to protect the woman God gave them. She's t- I wish I were making this up. Okay? That's where I've come from. I can tell you it's been a long time since I have done anything like that. But that did not come by saying, I'm not going to be that guy. That came by morning after morning saying, Holy Spirit of the living God, apply the gospel to my life and make me stop being a fool. I do not want to be this way. I do not want to teach my children to be this way. I want to stop speaking and acting like this. Would you change me? Now, there are still more to go, but I can tell you, and I will ask my wife, I am far different than I was 20 years ago or 25 years ago. God has worked. That comes by the Holy Spirit. So that means we need the Spirit to work in us so that I'm not so easily offended. Because the problem is if I run around and everything offends me, the odds of me not breaking all of these things and becoming angry at the wrong time, the wrong person, the wrong way, the wrong degree, there's almost no possibility that's going to happen. I need God to change me inside. In Proverbs 12, 16, it says, A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Are you going to be insulted this week? Are people going to say things in a nasty way to you this week? Take it to the bank. You're not going to live in the time where that's not going to happen. Okay? It will happen. The question is, am I the kind of person who says, you know what? I'm not responding to that. I I can overlook an insult. I do not need to gear up and go. It is better for you and I, by the Holy Spirit, to get changed in this area. See, our culture rewards those who speak and act with anger and rage. Our culture rewards people who can seemingly become angered and offended almost over anything. That is how you get a platform in media. If most of these people stood up and said, you know, there's really not anything for me to report on today, nobody keeps coming back to their site. 
So it could be, I'm telling you, it could be the first day of the eschaton and Jesus' return and these people would find something to complain about because that's how they're making their living. And what they're wanting to do is to stir you and me up. But God says, no, let the Holy Spirit work. Better to be a patient, controlled person who says, you know, I'm overlooking that. that. That is not worth me talking about, focusing on, responding to. I'm going to do that. Rather than being an angry, raging person who might conquer other people in their arguments and becomes a fool in the process. Because, see, that's the danger, is even if I win the argument, I've done it by becoming a fool. And that's not what we want. Now, the last thing that undergirds all of this, and this is also kind of the gospel coming in for us, the wise person realizes the limits of human anger and trusts God's wise, sovereign rule. See, I get angry because I think my anger is going to make things the way they ought to be. And that is almost never the case. Almost never. And, to be blunt, I get angry because God's not doing it the way I think God ought to be doing it. So let's look at both of those. James 1, 19 and 20, James says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The NIV translates that last phrase and says, it does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Which is okay, but the, the, the Greek is, Lord, does not bring about the right, or does not work the righteousness of God. And see, here's the issue. It doesn't work it in me when I'm becoming angry, but you know what? And this, Take this as the voice of experience. It didn't work it in my children either. It's not like after I blew up and I became angry, they said, oh, that makes me love Jesus more. That makes me want to walk in the right way. It virtually never does that. Your anger and my anger do not work the righteousness of God. Because the odds of me becoming angry and not having a good dose of sin mixed in with it are so narrow. Have you ever asked, the scripture says, be angry, but do not sin. That's the only time we're told to be angry. Be angry, but do not sin. How many times does it say, love, but do not sin? Be joyful, but do not sin. Share, but do not sin. Does it say any of those? Because see, that's not a danger. But it is a danger when I start engaging in anger. And so James tells us, look, it does not produce godly results. Usually, in fact, what it does is it makes matters worse. Psalm 37, 7 to 9. Remember, I quoted verse 8 earlier. Here's what it says in Psalm 37, 7 to 9. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when evil men succeed in their ways and carry out their wicked schemes. So notice here, and I put verse 7 up for the context. Are evil people doing evil things And what he's talking about? Yes. Do they seem to be getting away with those evil things? Yes. How do I respond to that? That's the question that the psalmist is dealing with here. So, so I can't say yes, but I wouldn't be becoming angry. I wouldn't be saying and doing these things except for these evil people are getting away with stuff and somebody's got to stand up. See, the psalmist is saying, I've already taken care of that. That is the situation that's happening. Here's how you respond. Verse 8. Refrain from anger. 
Turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. Here's why. Verse 9. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. See, the psalmist turns and says, look, when this is happening, you've got two options. You can fret, you can get angry, you can respond in rage, or you can trust in God. But you're not going to do both. And your trust in God is based on this. Will evil ultimately triumph? No. And is that because Brett is here to save the day? No. Jesus is here to save the day. Much better way to deal with this. See, the true will conquer the false by God and in God's time. The beautiful is going to replace the ugly. That which is good is going to replace that which is evil and it will conquer it. But God will do that. And in the meantime, the psalmist says, do not fret. Because if you start fretting and you start working yourself up, this is going to lead to evil. And so rather than fretting over evil, we're called to be still before God, to trust him in his sovereign goodness and rule. God will set things right. Now again, does this mean that Well, then what's going on in Bombay goes on in Bombay. No. We engage. We work. But I cannot do it in such a manner that I start flying off the handle and everything. And again, most of what you and I become angry at is nothing like that. I wish that's what the majority of my anger had been expressed at. But it really has not been. So a key to being controlled in this age of rage goes back to the heart. And I hope you've noticed this as we've moved through life hacks. There is no simple little thing you can do externally. All of this is a matter of the heart, which is how we're going to conclude the series next week. My wrath and my rage throughout much of my life has been a sign I was not really trusting in God and God's goodness. God was not paying attention. He was not doing what he needed to do. And therefore, I was going to mount up and solve this situation. That's usually what it is, and that's nothing other than lack of faith. And so when Christians respond this way, what we really need to do is go back and meditate and say, God, who's sovereign? Are you good? Are you going to accomplish your purposes? Is your kingdom going to be victorious in the end? If it is, I can step back, I can take a breath, Because this is not ultimate. Now, we're going to apply the word, and as we've been doing each week, it's really brief, and basically the application is going to be coming to the table. And so I'm going to put up here on the screen these six areas I just went over. And I want you to ask, as we've been doing every week, okay, the law of God tells us don't be a fool. Don't get angry. Don't give full vent to your anger. Learn to be controlled. That's the law of God. Now, that shows me how the Holy Spirit's working in my life. So we're now going to say, okay, Spirit, which of these are you pointing at to me? Which of these six? Because it may be you're the kind of person who says, look, I just try and stay away from things that produce wrath. But you may be the kind of person that if I go and hit your radio dial, every one of them has turned to things that are stirring you up. So which of these 
is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about? Avoiding situations likely to breed anger, listening before responding, choosing my words carefully so I don't spread the rage but calm it down. Have I been asking the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry there's actually five of them, have I been asking the Holy Spirit to develop a patient, controlled spirit in me? Have I been, or am I trying to do this in my own strength? Am I crying out to the Holy Spirit? And then finally, do I realize the limits of my anger and am I trusting in God's wise, sovereign rule? I want you to ask here for a second, Spirit of the living God, which one are you putting your finger on? And me. What's causing me, rather than being an instrument of peace, to be somebody who's just helping this age of rage to continue? And how am I going to walk out? And what we're going to do, as you're considering that, is we're going to come down to the table of the king. Because this gospel table is where we can lay down our anger. Because I want to remind you that here, you and I are reminded that Christ was broken for your every sin. Okay? I can sit in a teaching like this and feel very condemned because this has been a besetting sin. There are other sins like greed. I don't really care that much about stuff. It's just not a motivating factor for me. This, this has been a problem. And I could come to the end of this and feel condemned. But hear the gospel. Christ has died for your every sin. He was broken and bore the righteous wrath of God even for your unrighteous wrath and for mine. And he does that, and we are reminded of that here. Here we're reminded that the only solution to your sin and mine is not my anger, it's not human rage, it is Christ, life, death, and resurrection. His atonement is the solution that this world needs. I long for the day when from corner to corner of the universe, there is nothing like that trade in Mumbai that we are praying about. Won't that be good when we are there? Won't it be good when nobody is treating another person with evil? Friends, that is only going to come by the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Nothing else we can do is going to accomplish that. And here I want you to be reminded, God's not saying to you, well, you've been angry. Here, get a little bit. Don't do that again. Here God says, I'm offering you grace. You are undeserving, but it is free and it is overflowing. Despite all of your sin, come, sit, eat, drink, enjoy my grace and my presence. And then what I can do is I can go out and say, you know what? God responded to me that way. I can respond to other people the same way. I can respond to them in grace. And we are here reminded finally, God has dealt with our sin decisively in Jesus Christ. The answer is not waiting. It's already been done. God has dealt with it. And if he's dealt with my sin, I can trust him with every other situation, every other circumstance that is going on. So I want to encourage you to come to the table and to know that. And I want to remind us, this is where the Spirit is at work. This is not unrelated to those last two points I hit. The Holy Spirit works at this table. And we want to ask Him today. This is not eat a little bread, drink a little juice, the meeting's almost over. 
This is Spirit of the living God. Meet me. Feed me. Give me fresh forgiveness and grace and change me from the inside out. You can freely confess your sins. God will not be shocked. And you are not going to reach the edge of the grace of God. Freely confess it and then freely cry out, Holy Spirit, come minister to us, build faith in us, let me trust God from the very depth of my being. So friends, this morning, come to the table of the King. Eat and drink grace. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins, all of them, may be forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for this sacramental table. We thank you that you have invited us here because of the work of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit of the living God, come, minister to your people as we eat and drink. May we eat and drink grace and forgiveness, and may we be transformed by your work. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, three quick things. Number one, if you need gluten-free, please just hold up your hand. We'll get that to you. Number two, as you get it, please hold on to it. We're going to take it together. And number three, what we're going to be doing is we're going to play a song, and there's going to actually be a little video. It's going to put the lyrics up here on the screen. And I encourage you to let the Holy Spirit minister to you about what's happening here at the table of the King. And friends, we're going to eat and drink forgiveness and grace together and let the Spirit work in us in whichever way He's been speaking. Okay, so we'll do that. We'll take together in a couple moments. Father, at this table, we behold the Lamb who bears our sins away. He was slain for us, quenching your righteous wrath, paying the penalty for our unrighteous rage. And today we remember his great sacrifice and we embrace your promise that all who come find forgiveness at the cross. So we share in the bread of life, giving thanks for his great sacrifice here at the table of our King. Friends, take and eat the bread of life and forgiveness. Lord, your blood cleanses every stain of sin, and it was shed for us. And today, now, we remember. You drain death's cup that all may enter in and receive the very life of God. 
And so we take this cup and we drink, remembering your great sacrifice and giving thanks for our place at the table of our King. Friends, take and drink the cup of life and blessing. Would you stand with me as we do this concluding prayer? And I want you to pray with me and ask the Holy Spirit to come and to minister in whatever area He has spoken to you. Holy Spirit, we have received this meal with thankfulness and faith. By Your power, may we rise and respond and follow in the steps of Christ. When we are reviled, may we bless. When we are insulted, may we pray. When all seems dark and we feel forsaken, may we trust the sovereign and wise rule of God. Spirit, give us a fresh vision of the sure return of Christ and the great feast that we will enjoy that day around the table of our King. And as we await the day of Christ's return and the triumph of all that is true and good and beautiful over all that is false and evil and ugly, by your power let us live in faith and peace now, overcoming evil with good and being your instruments of peace in this broken, angry world. Holy Spirit, we ask you would do this in Jesus' name for your glory and our good. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. May mercy, and peace, and love be yours in abundance. Go blessed and spread these blessings to the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.